Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. I'll be preaching this morning through verses, verses 9 through 19. We are in what is often referred to as the priestly prayer of Jesus, the high priestly prayer. Uh, in the first part of this prayer, Jesus prays for His glorification. We talked about that last Sunday. Uh, in this portion today, He prays for His disciples. And then He'll conclude this prayer by praying for the church. So as you turn there to John 17, let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask His blessing on the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. Heavenly Father, we pray now that You would open our hearts and minds to receive marvelous things from Your Word. Give us great comfort knowing that You are our High Priest who ever lives to make intercession for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the Word of the Lord from John 17, verses 9-19. through 19. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom You have given Me, for they are Yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Amen. One of the things that I have never had someone refuse to me as a pastor is my offer to pray for them. Anytime I have offered to pray for a person, anyone, they have always said yes. I have prayed with families in waiting rooms and hospitals. Uh, recently prayed with someone in jail. He didn't say no. I've prayed with people in their homes. I've prayed with people here at church. I've prayed with people at work. I've even prayed with my kids at bedtime. Why is it such a comfort to people to know that someone is praying for them? And I think this stems from a desire, or it derives from a desire that 
I think we all have to know that God is concerned with my life. He takes an interest in me, in my difficulties, in my suffering, in my struggle, in my anxieties. What an encouragement it is when someone says to you, like many of you have said to me, hey, I've been praying for you. What an encouragement to have someone stop what they're doing in the middle of their day and to listen to your needs, to listen to your struggles, to listen to your fears, anxieties, concerns, and to, in that moment, say, can we pray about that for a minute? What an encouragement it is to know that someone is praying for us. Here in this passage of Scripture, I can't help but to think of the encouragement that Jesus' disciples received as they heard Jesus praying for them. You know, Jesus didn't have to pray out loud for them. Here He is praying in their presence. Here He is praying, and this prayer is even recorded for us in Scripture. And we knew that Jesus prayed other prayers that weren't recorded. But this prayer is here recorded, and this prayer is prayed in the presence of the disciples. And what an encouragement that would have been to them as the cross has now cast a dark shadow upon their lives. As the cross is there giving them anxiety and fear and concern and wondering what will happen. And here Jesus is praying for them. I wonder how many times Peter thought about this prayer after he denied Jesus three times. I wonder how many times Thomas thought about this prayer as he struggled to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I wonder how many times John thought about this prayer as he received the responsibility to care for Jesus' mother. I wonder about the other disciples as they would go on to preach the gospel and to establish the church and all of them martyred for their faith. I wonder how many times in their mind they would go back to this prayer in their memory and provide comfort in their time of need. I want you to know this morning, dear Christian, that Jesus is praying for you. Jesus is praying for you. He lives to make intercession for us. He is there, ascended up into heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father, and there He is interceding for you and for me. And so you and I are called upon to comfort our anxiety with the joy that comes from Jesus' prayers. When you struggle... When you have fears and concerns and anxieties and worries and sickness and difficult circumstances in your life, I want you to remember that Jesus is praying for you. Comfort your anxiety. 
with the joy that comes from Jesus' prayers. I wonder this morning if you have considered that. If you have stopped to think about this and to realize the clear teaching of Scripture that Jesus is praying for you. Maybe you struggle with that. Maybe you struggle with the thought that Jesus is praying for you. And if, if that's you this morning, I want you to consider this question, why Jesus would be praying for you. Why would Jesus be praying for you? I want you to see here that Jesus is praying for all the Father has given to Him. That's who Jesus is praying for. Look with me at verse 9 as Jesus begins praying for the disciples and what He says that is true for the disciples is true for us. Look at verse 9 where Jesus says, in their presence, I'm praying for them. What an encouragement that would be for these disciples to hear. Jesus is talking to God the Father. He has taken the posture of prayer, looking up into heaven, and Jesus tells His heavenly Father, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, Jesus says. I'm not praying for the world, but I am praying for them. I'm praying for those you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus is referring to something that we call the covenant of redemption. We talked about this last week. We talked about it at Men's Theology Night earlier this week on Wednesday, the covenant of redemption. In this agreement where God the Father made a covenant that He would elect and choose a people and give them to the Son. And the Son would, in this covenant, agree to accomplish their redemption and be their high priest. And the Holy Spirit made a covenant that He would apply the redemption purchased by Christ. We see these conversations happening between Jesus and His heavenly Father with statements like this. How did Jesus know that there were those that had been given to Him? The covenant of redemption. Why would Jesus be praying and interceding for them? Well, the covenant of redemption. Jesus has made a covenant that He would intercede for them. Jesus has made a covenant that He would be their representative before God the Father. And so here Jesus is assuming that role. He is assuming that posture of interceding for those the Father has given to him. In verse 10, Jesus explains that those whom belong to the Father also belong to the Son. They are one in the same. All mine are yours and yours are mine. And so if you are in Christ, it is because you belong to God the Father and God the Father in His mercy, in His grace, He has elected you and chosen you. And the blood of Jesus Christ is accounted unto you. He is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And why is this so? Jesus explains in verse 10 that this is all to the glory of God. Jesus says, I am glorified in them. So why was this done? Why did God choose a people and why did the Son agree to accomplish their redemption upon the cross? Well, it is for God's glory alone. It's not because you and I are so lovable. It's not because you and I are so 
deserving of God's mercy and grace. It's not for those reasons at all. God is doing this for the manifestation of His own glory. That God's glory is put on display for all the universe to see as those who are dead in their trespasses and sins become the object of God's mercy and God's grace. And God is glorified in displaying His mercy to them. And so Jesus is praying for them, He says. They have been given to Him from His Father, and now He is no longer going to be in the world. He says that several times in this passage, doesn't He? He repeats that. That He's departing. He's going back to His Father. But they will remain. But the fact that Jesus is departing and returning back to His Father doesn't discontinue His ministry to His elect. In fact, His ministry continues on as He continues praying and interceding for them. I was reading this week uh, A Body of Divinity, a little book by Thomas Watson. It's his commentary on the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And in his section on Jesus, the high priest, he says that there are two aspects to the work of Jesus Christ as our high priest. Number one is the satisfaction. Jesus, in his active and passive obedience, fulfilling all the demands that the law of God requires and receiving the penalty for our sins upon himself, the active and passive obedience of Jesus Christ. And the second aspect of his work as our high priest is his intercession. The intercession of Jesus. And listen to the way he describes the intercession of Jesus in three different ways. Number one, that Jesus presents the merit of his blood to his Father. And in virtue of that price paid, pleads for mercy for the elect. So Jesus is our high priest. He's also our sacrifice, isn't He? He goes on our behalf to uh, plead on our behalf to the Father, and He does so with the sacrifice of His own blood. And that intercession continues for me and for you to this very day. Secondly, Watson says, he answers all bills of indictments brought against the elect. So when there is a charge against God's elect, our high priest and our sacrifice is there to answer all of those charges. He says that when Satan accuses believers to God and when believers' consciences accuse them, Christ, by His intercession, answers all accusations. So in that way, He is like our attorney, pleading our case before the Father. When Satan accuses the saints, or when the justice of God lays anything to their charge, Christ shows His own wounds, Watson says. And by virtue of His blood, answers all the demands and challenges of the law, and counterworks Satan's accusations. 
So when Satan makes an accusation against the justice of God and says, oh, that, that one right there, they deserve your wrath. You should punish them in their sin. Our high priest is there showing his wounds and saying, Father, I have already received the punishment for their sin. Thirdly, Watson says that his intercession calls for acquittance, an acquittal. And these are all connected to each other. His intercession calls for an acquittal. And Watson says, and I quote, when God's justice opens the debt book, Christ opens the law book. Lord, he says, thou art a just God and will not be pacified without blood. Here is the blood shed. Therefore, give me a discharge for these distressed creatures. What a comfort to know that we have a high priest who is interceding for us. When Satan comes and condemns us for our sin and our unworthiness and lays a charge against the justice of God's law, our high priest is there interceding for us. When our consciences accuse us and we see our own sinfulness, that we are unworthy of the mercy and the grace of God, our high priest is there interceding for us. Maybe you have at times thought, I'm a terrible sinner, David. You have no idea of the sin. There is no way that Christ would be interceding for me because I'm a, I'm a horrible wretch. You need to remember the words of Isaiah 53.12 that Christ bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. When you think to yourself that I've offended Christ too much by distrusting Him. I've doubted His promises too many times. I've abused His love. I've grieved His Holy Spirit. There's no way that Christ would continue interceding for me. You need to be reminded that His intercession is of His free gift of mercy and grace to you and to me. Who is Christ praying for? Well, Jesus is praying for all the Father has given to Him. He's made a covenant to do this. Why would He ever stop for a single moment? He lives to make intercession for you and for me. So comfort your anxiety with the joy that comes from Jesus' prayers. So if He's praying for all those the Father has given to Him, what do His prayers accomplish? There's a lot we could talk about in this regard. We could open a lot of places in Scripture that talk about what is accomplished by the intercession of Christ. Here, specifically, I'll just make two points that Jesus makes in John 17. Jesus' prayers ensure our perseverance. I want you to see that here in this passage, that Jesus' prayers ensure our perseverance. Look with me in verse 11. Jesus prays to His Father to do what? What does He ask His Father to do? Look at verse 11. Keep them in Your name. Keep them in Your name which You have given to Me. 
Jesus has already prayed and explained that He has revealed the Father's name. What does it mean for Jesus to reveal the Father's name? Exodus chapter 3. Moses at the burning bush. He asked the Lord, Suppose the Israelites ask me, Who has sent me? What's His name? What shall I tell them your name is? And what does God say? You go back and you tell the Israelites that I am who I am. The I am has sent you to them. A revelation of God's name is a revelation of God's act of redemption on behalf of His people. Just as He saved Israel and their bondage in Egypt by a revelation of God's name and a demonstration of the power of God's name, so too Christ, when He reveals God's name, He is revealing to us the plan of God's redemption and saving us. And so Jesus here in verse 11, He is praying that not only that this work which has begun in Christ by revealing the Father's name to them, but that work would also do what? Continue. Jesus says, do what? Keep them in your name. I kept them in your name, which you've given me. But Jesus, where is He going? He's departing. He's going to His Father. But that doesn't mean that His work is discontinued. He's praying to the Father that that work of perseverance would continue even in His absence. Look at me in verse 12. What else is Jesus praying for? Look at verse 12. While I was with them, I kept your name, which you have given me. I have done what? Guarded them. Not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. So Jesus here is praying that the Father would guard the disciples. That that work that He began in guarding the disciples while He was there with them, it would continue. Now why does Jesus mention here Judas? Notice Jesus says, not one of them is lost except for the son of destruction. Jesus is referring to Psalm 41, verse 9, about a betrayal of the one who uh, was at the table, which was a, a reference that Jesus used of Judas. Why is Jesus, why would he here mention in this prayer regarding the betrayal of Judas? Because Jesus here is explaining that he hasn't failed in his ministry, not for a single moment. And the betrayal of Judas was not a failure of Jesus, but it was a fulfillment of God's plan of redemption. And so what John is doing here by including this part of Jesus' prayer is he wants all his readers to understand that Jesus doesn't fail in his intercession for us. He prays that we'll be kept in the Father's name. He prays that we'll be guarded. Look at verse 15. He also prays, look at verse 15, that His disciples will be kept from who? The evil one. He's not taking them out of the world. They will remain in the world where the prince of the power of this age and the ruler of this age makes his vicious assaults attacking the church. And so Jesus here recognizes the fact that the work continues 
And just as Satan attacked him in his ministry and tempted him, so he will make all his assaults against the church and against his disciples. And so Jesus here is praying that the Father will keep them and guard them from the evil one, that they might persevere even while they remain in the world. And Jesus prays all of this in their hearing. Look at verse 13. Why does He pray this? That they may have His what? His joy fulfilled in themselves. Here's the whole reason Jesus is praying this. He's praying this so that they would have joy through hardships, through afflictions, through trials, that they would always know that Jesus has been interceding for them. You know, when I think about all of this, I wonder, is it the same for me and you as it was for the disciples then? How does Christ enable us to persevere? Think about all the different tactics and plans that are used by so many different kinds of people. If you cook, if you bake, you have recipes, they're the plan that you follow so that you can produce a meal. We have military in this church, active duty, military, and when they go out to the battlefield, they have tactics and plans that they follow. They have weaponry that they use. They have armor that they use all to enable them to gain victory on the battlefield. You think about a, a team, a sports team, like a football team. They have a playbook that they use that they refer to to help them gain victory in this life, or in the game. Sorry, I'm drawing out the analogy here. The same is true for you and me, isn't it? That God has given us plans and tactics that we are to follow. Jesus not only is praying for us, but He's given to us His Word. He's revealed to us His Word. He's given to us, as He says in Ephesians 6, the whole armor of God. That we are to put on the full armor of of God, the breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, feet shod and ready with the, the readiness of the gospel of peace, the sword of the Spirit, which is the, the Word of God, and the shield of faith that we can use to extinguish all the fiery darts of the evil one. And all this we've been given so that we can, as Paul says in Ephesians 6.18, be praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. So here, he not only tells them to put on the full armor of God, but to put in practice that armor through their prayer and supplication. Praying at all times, he says. As a result, they will be enabled to keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints who were fighting the good fight along with the Apostle Paul. So not only has God ordained the prayers of Christ for our perseverance, but He has also ordained the means to that end. Has He not? He's given us His Word. He's given us prayer. He's given us the means of grace. And through those means, He has been so gracious to promise that He will, by His Spirit, bless those means and use them as a means unto our own perseverance. And 
When I think about all of that, I put all this into perspective, and I recognize and realize that so many times I am passive in my own perseverance. Are you like that sometimes too? You're passive in your own perseverance. You say, well, look, I know that God has promised that I'll persevere. I know that Jesus is praying for me. And so I'm just going to sit back and just trust and do nothing and just know that I'll just persevere. Somehow, some way, I'll persevere. There's an old proverb that says, you never have to pray about the weeds in your garden. God's given you the means to do something about them. What is it? Go pluck them. Go out there and work with trowel and shovel and pull them out by the roots. And so here, the means that God has given us under our perseverance are the means of grace. The preaching of His Word, the prayers, the, the sacraments, all these God has promised to bless as a means unto our own perseverance. That's why we're so passionate about gathering together for worship, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. It's why we're so passionate about the administration of the Lord's Supper. It's why we're so passionate about the preaching of God's Word. Why? Because God has promised to use it as a means unto our own perseverance. Are you being passive in your perseverance? Are you making diligent use of all the means that God has ordained? Are you regularly setting apart time daily for you to have fellowship with God? To hear from His Word? To pray to Him? Do you have regular times where you gather your family and you open up God's Word and you pray together and you encourage one another? Is it your practice? Do you set apart and prioritize gathering together with God's people Lord's Day by Lord's Day because you desire to hear God's Word proclaimed? It's an encouragement, isn't it? And Christ has given us the means and He is praying and interceding for us and we are called upon to use the means that He has ordained unto our own perseverance. And He's promised to bless them. So who is Jesus praying for? He's praying for His elect. His prayers accomplish their perseverance. And lastly, I want you to see His prayers accomplish their consecration for service. Look with me at verse, verse 17. Jesus prays that the disciples would be sanctified in the truth. God's Word is truth. And in verse 18, He says... As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Just as Jesus has been sent on mission from God, just as He has been set apart and consecrated by His Father, sent into the world, so now He's sending His disciples into the world. He has set them apart. The world will be hostile to them, just as it was to Jesus. The world will persecute His disciples, just as it persecuted Jesus. Satan will attack His disciples, just as Satan attacked Jesus. And yet, the ministry of Jesus continues as His disciples are consecrated and set apart. 
and sent to share the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ with a world that's in desperate need to hear it. You know, we may never know how our lives are impacting other people for the gospel. We may never know the, the seed that gets planted in their life. Isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3? He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who did what? He gave the growth. He gave the increase. You and I may never know the seeds that we're planting in people's lives by sharing the gospel with them. We may never know how our prayers and encouragement and fellowship with them are watering the gospel seeds that have been planted in their life. And it, it may seem like there's no fruit whatsoever. But it's God who gives the increase. Why? He set us apart. He's consecrated us to share the gospel with them. When I think about my own life, I know that my witness is so imperfect. It's filled with failures and difficulties and fears. I've fallen short so many times when I've tried to share the gospel with people, even members of my own family, offending them unnecessarily. Maybe you're like that too. Maybe you be, you're thinking, God can't use your witness. It's too imperfect. You're too sinful. You're too young in the faith. You're just a child. You're too old. But if you're in the church, the Lord has set you apart. He's consecrated you. He sent you to share the Gospel with someone. Just because you can't see the work of God in someone's heart doesn't mean the gospel isn't being blessed in their life. Keep planting seeds and keep watering them. Because the Lord has set you apart, He's called you to do so, and He has promised to bless His ministry through your life. And He's praying for you to that end. Not only for your perseverance, but also for your consecration. That you would be used by Him to share the good news with a lost and dying world. wonder if you need that encouragement this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for a High Priest, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that You would remind us often when we're discouraged that we have a Savior who's interceding for us. We thank You for Your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.